This is a Federal News Network podcast. Well, the National Security Agency recently awarded Amazon a multi-billion dollar cloud computing contract. You can guess what happened. Once again, as in the Defense Department's JEDI program, the deal is tied up in protest. Only this time, Microsoft is the protester. DOD eventually scrapped the whole JEDI program. With how the NSA deal is likely to play out, we turn to a partner at the law firm Boys Schiller Flexner, Hamish Hume. Mr. Hume, good to have you on. Great to be on, Tom. Glad to have you in studio with us. And first of all, give us the status of this current NSA award. When did it happen and where does it stand right now? So the NSA award to Amazon was made just about two weeks ago or a bit more in early August and was immediately challenged by Microsoft in front of the GAO. It's not yet in court. And therefore, it's not yet public. We can't see Microsoft's challenge, but it's sitting there at the GAO. And the GAO has said it expects to issue a decision by October 29th. And this is a weird one because it looks like son of Jedi or daughter of Jedi or child of Jedi, I guess, to be politically correct nowadays. Multi-billion, multi-year, single award. What do you think the NSA was thinking? Well, it's hard to tell, and it is very curious. It is said to be a $10 billion award, which is the same number they used for JEDI. And even though the NSA is under the Department of Defense, um, it is not 100% clear whether the NSA was part of the original JEDI contract, but one would assume that it was. And the very same month that um, Amazon obtained an injunction against the award to Microsoft – of the JEDI contract in February 2020 is when the NSA announced that it was going to be issuing a solicitation for this new contract. So that's it's complicated, and I'm happy to run through that chronology, but it, it does appear tied together, but in ways that are not 100% transparent. This is no way possibly a DOD insurance policy for JEDI. <laughs> you never know. I mean, JEDI has now, the one other important update is a month before this award was made to Amazon in July of this year, a couple of months ago, DOD announced that it was scrapping and canceling the JEDI contract. And uh, Amazon obviously welcomed that news. It had been challenging it. Microsoft, I would say, put out a notice saying they accepted it and understood it, but they obviously were not happy about it. So JEDI has been scrapped. An NSA award has been made the very next month, and that award is now being challenged. All right. There were a lot of grounds for the challenge. It was complicated in the JEDI case because of officials that had worked in DOD that allegedly had a conflict of interest and without relitigating that whole case. In your experience, and you have done a lot of protest litigation over the decades, how will this likely play out, do you think? Well, bid protest litigation is very hard to win. There's a fairly high percentage when you're at the GAO of the agency taking some corrective action to sort of dot the I's and cross the T's because, you know, to do everything perfectly and get it all correct. But to really overturn an award, particularly an award of this magnitude, is very, very difficult to do. We were fortunate to be able to do one uh, for a company called Palantir against the U.S. Army. But in general, it's extremely difficult to do. I do think it's worth going back to understand the, the nature of the awards the first time around because despite what I just said, Amazon was able to get an injunction to the first Jedi Award on fairly narrow grounds uh, despite having sweeping claims in its complaint about President Trump's improper influence. They ended up getting that injunction on, on quite a narrow technical basis 
but it's, it proved to be what appears to have been a, a game changer. Because in a lot of the public statements, Microsoft and Amazon traded barbs about who was more technically qualified. I mean, the reality is it's probably Tweedledee, Tweedledum when it comes to technology prowess between a company like Microsoft and a company like Amazon. So it could be maybe in the details of the percentage of pennies per transaction that happens in the cloud, which could add up to millions over the years. I don't know. We really can't tell at this point, though, can we? We cannot tell, and and I'm not an expert on cloud technology as such. However, it's worth noting that despite what you say and what one would think about, they must have similar technology. The injunction that Amazon won was based on a very technical point buried within the solicitation and the bid documents that one of the requirements under just one of numerous scenarios in the original JEDI award was for the cloud storage system to be, quote, highly accessible, which seems obvious, uh, but they, they had an offeror. They had to ask for a specific definition of, well, what does highly accessible mean? And the DOD says, well, it means you have to have either online storage or replicated storage. And the whole lawsuit, the injunction boiled down to the definition of online storage, which meant it had to be available immediately without any human effort or input. And the judge held that Amazon prevailed on the injunction because the judge held that Microsoft's bid did not satisfy that requirement. When you read the opinion, it talks about how Microsoft's bid documents, instead of talking about online storage, talked about some other kind of storage, the adjective of which is redacted, which is a great illustration of how even once these cases go to court and get decided, it's very hard to tell sometimes what exactly they turned on. Uh, But right now, we really don't know what Microsoft's arguments are. They're better off if they have a clean legal argument because the standard is highly deferential on anything factual. We're speaking with protest attorney Hamish Hume. He's a partner at Boys Schiller Flexner. And there seems to be a bigger issue at work here, and that is over the years the government has tried to get itself to set requirements as opposed to technical specifications for everything it buys. This goes back to when Al Gore was vice president and there were three pages of specifications for ashtrays. That was the example they used back then. And so could it be that the government is trying to say we want a highly available cloud that's really secure – and there are reference standards for that, of course. And then the bidders are coming in with technical expressions of that requirement and then fighting over the technical specifications when really the government was trying to get a large requirement done. Yes, I think what you're talking about now is is a problem near and dear to my heart from my old case. I think, I think some of that is probably what's going on. There's even debate amongst the different industry players of exactly what a cloud facility means. It can mean different things to different people. It can mean infrastructure as a service, platform as a service. It can sometimes even mean software as a service. There's a a National Institute of Standards and Technology definition of the cloud that people have to adhere to. But in general, the government would always like things done differently for it. And the law requires it to the maximum extent possible to buy what the commercial market makes available. And that was the legal ground on which we won the Palantir case. I don't know that that's going to be an issue in this case because I think they are buying fixed price as a commercial item, but then they want it modified. Particularly DOD is always going to want things modified for its particular needs. And that may well end up being 
part of what is at issue in the current case, but we really don't know. So one more piece of speculation, it could be over security, for example. Absolutely. And in fact, that was one of the issues that Oracle also challenged the JEDI contract. They didn't challenge the award. They challenged the original solicitation. And one of the things they challenged was that there was a, a gating threshold requirement for any bidder had to have, I forget, it was section 1.2 of something, had to have at least two or three different physical locations with servers at least 150 miles apart. And that was obviously for national security reasons, although Oracle argued it was unnecessary and shouldn't have been at least a gating issue. So I would expect that national security issues and the security of the cloud will be central to any discussion of this. And the government will get enormous amounts of deference in court from that, which is why the only way to win one of these cases is to have a really clear legal defect or a very, very clear factual defect that a judge will feel comfortable deciding it on. Because anything general or vague, they're going to defer to the government. And of course, a leading D.C. law firm doesn't go in with hunches when it goes into court. But based on your experience and what little we do know of this, is your gut telling you that the NSA will prevail this time around? I think if you're a betting person, you would, in these cases, always bet on the government. And I think the NSA will it will have been a, a narrower contract than JEDI. I think they will have had the benefit of the JEDI litigation to look at. Um, and that, you know, absent some really clear legal defect of some kind, I would expect they probably will prevail. And then the interesting question is, what is the rest of DOD going to do? Is there going to be a different kind of JEDI? There's a talk in the press of the joint warfighter cloud capability, the JWCC, instead of JEDI. They, they basically tried to spin the cancellation of JEDI as just technology making the original requirements obsolete, to go to your earlier point. And they're going to come out with new requirements that need to be met, and that it wasn't because of the litigation. And maybe that's completely accurate. I don't know. Um, but I'm sure the litigation contributed at least to some degree. And so it remains to be seen whether they're going to do it as a single a request for the rest of the DOD or different sub-agencies within DOD will have different requests. And the other huge question is, are they going to want a sole supplier, a sole vendor, which was what Oracle was complaining about with JEDI, that it was, it was crafted for only one winner? Or sometimes what they'll do is they'll have a group of winners to win the original contract, and then they have subsequent task orders for specific tasks. And they're actually supposed to favor that latter approach whenever possible. Protest attorney Hamish Hume is a partner at Boys Schiller Flexner. Thanks so much for joining me. Absolutely, Tom. Thanks for having me. We'll post this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hear the Federal Drive on demand. Subscribe at Podcast One or wherever you get your shows. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I am your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Vice Admiral Cutler Dawson. Cutler has had an incredible career serving our country for 35 years in the Navy, where he attained the rank of Vice Admiral. During his service, he had numerous assignments afloat and ashore, including Commander, Second Fleet, Striking Fleet Atlantic, and in Washington at the Pentagon and on Capitol Hill, where he was the Navy's Chief of Legislative Affairs. Immediately following his retirement from active duty in 2004, he became the president and CEO of Navy Federal Credit Union, the world's largest credit union, where he served for 14 years. Under his leadership, Navy Federal grew from 2 million to 8 million members. Phenomenal. Cutler, welcome and thanks for joining me. Thank you, Shane. 
You've had a fascinating career across both military and the private sector. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and your professional journey? Well, I started out at the Naval Academy where I graduated in 1970. And then, as you mentioned, spent 35 years in the Navy um, with uh, six actual actual uh, afloat commands. Uh, the first one was when I was 27 years old. Uh, I didn't know enough to be scared of anything. And it was uh, probably one of the highlights of my career. Um, and then after I retired, after 35 years, I went to uh, work at Navy Federal Credit Union as the CEO, where I spent my next 14 years. Um, I'm, I'm currently retired and enjoying life, and um, it's been a great run for me. How would you describe your leadership style, and how's that developed over the years? My style has been quite con- consistent. Um, I believe, and I've learned this in the Navy, that you have to go to the deck plates uh, to see what is going on. And you have to learn what your people do and how they do it so you can help them to be better at it and more efficient and more productive. Um, It's um, something that you need to do all the time. Um, I remember I used to tell folks that um, you don't want to retreat to your cabin. And what I mean by that is um, the longer you're in a position, the less you think you have to get out and about but that should be the opposite. You should get out and about more because people change, situations change, and you've got to figure out a way to get to them and find out what they're doing and where, what you can do to help them. Uh, I, we'll talk a little bit more about your book, but I read it. Um, From Sea to the C-Suite, fantastic read. You talk about the deck plates in that um, as well. I would encourage everyone to get a copy of this and read some more detail about going to the deck plates. Cutler, who was the most impactful leader in your life and what quality did you admire about them? I had numerous while I was in the Navy, but uh, the quality that, that I enjoyed the most was the leaders that got to know me as an individual and that they cared about me. And I could tell that they cared about me. And they were not only my leaders, but they were my mentors. And um, I remember um, one particular one, Bill Schiffer, when I had my first assignment at the Pentagon, um, I would go in to see him with my problem of the day. And I knew that he had numerous problems of his own, but he would stop and he would focus on me and he would make me feel like I was the most important person in his world. Um, And I I tried to do that um, throughout my career. But really, it's about caring for your people. Cutler, in reading your book, there was a quote you used that you used to inspire those people that work for you. And it really got my attention. And it was it was you are the captain of your own ship. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what that means and how it was useful to you and the leaders you were developing. Uh, Absolutely. Absolutely. What I mean by captain of your own ship, when you are the captain of a ship, sometimes you're in the middle of the ocean and you don't have anybody to turn to to make decisions. You don't have anybody to turn to ask, what should I do now? You have to be the captain of that ship. And I I translated that um, into, let's say, Navy Federal's organization, where I would tell branch managers that I said, you are the captain of the ships of Navy Federal. You're the ones that are facing the, the members or customers, as others call them, every day. And you have to make decisions without a lot of guidance in some cases and 
without a lot of time. So be the captain of your own ship. Step up, uh, make decisions, uh, do what you think is right, and you never can go wrong. I think that is so important. And you have to give your people a little bit of latitude to take some risk as well, because there is risk for them in doing that and risk to your organization. That's right. And and I mentioned that I took command of my first ship uh, with five years in the Navy, and I was 27 years old. Well, my boss had 32 years in the Navy, and um, his his guidance to me when I first met him was, Cutler, you do the right thing, and I'll back you up all the way. What a wonderful way to, to spend an assignment with, uh, with backup and, and guidance like that. What, what great, great advice. Uh, it's clear leadership is a topic you're passionate about. You wrote the book we mentioned before, um, From C to C-Suite. T- can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yes. When I was at Navy Federal, I would tell sea stories uh, as parables to get my point across. And um, folks would tell me, Cutler, we like your stories. It gives us a picture of what you're trying to tell us. Now, what else are they going to say? They work for me, but uh, uh, I took it as a compliment, and it was. And my wife encouraged me to write a book, and I needed a co-author to help me. And I found a lady named Taylor Keelan, who was the perfect, perfect co-author. She turned in my stories into wonderful chapters um, that I'm very proud of. Where can listeners find a copy? Well, you can get it on Amazon. Uh, and you can also uh, get it on the Naval Institute website. Uh, and I might add that um, any proceeds from the book, Navy Federal uses uh, to give to charity. Fantastic. Cutler, thank you very much. Really enjoyed your time and your lessons in, in leadership and sharing with us your life story. And, and uh, I've learned a lot both from talking to you today and reading your book. And thank you very much for your time. It's my pleasure. And I, I, I would like to add one thing, if I could, Shane. Um, during my assignments in Washington, D.C., I gained the utmost respect for the civilians that work here every day. They're hardworking, they're dedicated, and they, they have my eternal gratitude. Uh, I got to come and go from the Pentagon. They stayed every day and worked in Washington when I got to go out and um, enjoy being at sea. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah, WEPA serves civilian federal employees, but your comment is well taken because the interaction between the two is is continuous, it's nonstop, and it's critical. So uh, the career civil servants, as well as career military, uh, our country would not be where it is today without them. I totally agree. And and I can tell you from the U.S. Navy standpoint, uh, we couldn't operate like we do without them being the backbone of what we do. Thank you very much for your time today, Cutler, and to everyone listening to Lessons in Leadership podcast. We'll see you next time. Helping your employees learn new cloud skills helps your business become more agile, more resilient, and more secure. Not helping employees learn new cloud skills causes your business to become less agile, less resilient, less secure, less innovative, less profitable, and, well, ultimately less of a business. Don't become less of a business. Try Pluralsight and get your employees everything they need to learn new cloud skills. Learn more at Pluralsight.com slash vision. SMS text 1118 AM. Hey girl, emergency. You wouldn't believe what just happened. 
Are you at your desk? I rip my skirt and like half my tush is hanging out. Third floor bathroom, please help. LOL. When you send messages on SMS, someone else could be reading them. With end-to-end encryption, WhatsApp ensures that your personal messages are your personal messages. WhatsApp. Always message privately.